For so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured it, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm-hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, the Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah, plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Yes, it is. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and uh, welcome to the program. All right, we've got a lot to talk about, and we have two guests today that are going to uh, open our eyes on a few things, uh, one of whom is Angie Machado from uh, beaverblitz.com. She will join us at 11.30 this morning. My name is John Warren, by the way. Mike Parker is on his way at some point. Uh, today was a day. It's game day tonight. The Beavers at 8 o'clock tonight taking on Stanford. Which, by the way, TJ, 76-76 is the overall series. After all those years, it's, Crucial it's, a, one tonight. it's a dead rights. heat. It's a dead heat. Anyway, that's tonight at 8 o'clock. Uh, and it's just, you know what? It's one of those times when you have to go to the uh, coaches' um, interviews whenever they can do it. They don't work around our schedule. We work around theirs. So that's um, that's why Mike will be a little bit late today, but uh, he'll be in probably in the next 10, 15, 20 minutes or so. So TJ's uh, stepped in, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of just get things off to a good start here. Again, Angie at eleven thirty, and then at twelve oh five, Roxy Bernstein, who has the call tonight on ESPN two, where you can watch Oregon State. But of course, we want you to listen to Mike's call, which will get underway at seven thirty tonight against Stanford and. Uh, for yours truly, who gets up at 3.45 every morning, it's a little, little late for me. I'll probably get through the first half and then have to read about it tomorrow morning. What's well, the best way to... It's the best way. You're used to that by now, though. Yeah, I am. I that's am. Good. I just... I don't like not being there because I don't want coaches... Because I call some of those, game, those games when needed, and I don't, I don't want them to think that I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't think there's any more 8 p.m. tip-offs this month, though, so I think you're okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, these last two Thursdays are the only two. I really like to be there in the post-game downstairs deal right in the front row uh, to, to, you know, just let them know it's, it's all good. It's all part of what we do here with the, uh, with the Joe Beaver Show and our sports coverage on Clue AM in the morning as well. All right, so, um, wow, the, the not even 24 hours. It was about 24 hours ago, in fact, that I read a tweet from, I think, I don't know, Brett McMurphy, whoever it was, saying, well, it looks like the uh, Seahawks might be parting ways with, with Pete Carroll, and then 10, 15 minutes later, not even that, I'm getting texts from you and everybody else that 
they in fact let him go because he wanted to stay. So we kind of determined that was a firing, even though they're giving him an advisory position. Um, and then later in the day, I don't remember where I was. I was doing something, a chore, and I get a text from you about Nick Saban. And I immediately got onto Twitter, and everybody was breaking it. It was just one tweet after another about Nick Saban. That one shocked me. Pete Carroll didn't, but that the Nick Saban one really did shock. Yeah, me. the three we've gotten in the last twenty-four hours. That was that. That one was out of left field to me. He, I think, I read was in SEC coaches meetings that day. Yeah, I read somewhere stuff. too that he was doing a uh, an interview for an assistant coach. Yeah, and literally when that was done, he walked across the hallway to the team and said, I'm retiring. It's bizarre. The odds of though, of two, two legendary historic coaches on the same day leaving their positions, leaving their is, positions yeah. is unheard of. It's unheard of. One is a big deal around here in talk radio and what we do. One is a massive deal, and they happen, and they happen over the years. I will say often. There's, you know, it, it happens, but not... Is not as often that it's not a shocker when it happens. It's like, whoa, okay, mm. things are getting exciting. All right, fine. Then it settles down. You go a couple of years, nothing big. And then something else happens. Wow, yesterday was a double dip. Then this morning, 4 o'clock, 4.00 something or other, and I'm brushing my teeth and my phone's on silent mode, and I'm, and I'm just rattled by it lighting up. There's no reason at that time of the day for it to light up for, any, for anything because news isn't breaking no one's texting me. It's it's oh dark thirty. My lovely wife is sound asleep, and I'm getting ready and just about to leave to go to work. And my phone lights up. I look down and I see Bill Belichick. Yeah, that's all I could see. We were, and th- I and think I'm most like, people oh were waiting for it yesterday, thinking, yeah. okay, this has to happen all three. But maybe Robert Kraft was like, maybe she wait until the morning. You know, I don't follow the details of uh, the inner workings of coaches in the uh, NFL outside of headlines. Mm-hmm. It's just we got too much going on here with Beavers and, and college sports. And and then even, you know, I know a lot more about Seattle and Pete Carroll than obviously anything about the Patriots. Um, but I was following headlines. And just based on the headlines, you kind of felt like some change was going to happen mm-hmm. and that it would probably be the end of, of him being there. And it kind of was in the respect that if I, you know, if you read about it today, it clearly states uh, that they had been having meetings, several meetings for the past couple of weeks, and that the, the, uh, the separation, if you will, the divorce amicable from all sides. Yeah. It sounds like, I don't know if that's coach speak or ownership speak, but that's what the the article said. And I think both bill and Pete would be open to opportunities elsewhere. I don't, I don't know if they're done. It, it just did seem like for both the same answer came. It was awesome. The time was, it was an incredible run with both those franchises. While those two were head coaches, two of the best franchises in the league. Yeah. But it was time, and now both on the open market at the exact, the exact same time. Just, just bizarre that the timing of all of this, and and the fact that in twenty four hours this can all happen. It, it it's crazy. But about, yeah, leads to speculation of like it's going to be really weird to see those two suited up for different teams next year. Oh, it'll be most it'll likely be very strange. I don't know about you, but I was listening to Roman, and, and he's throwing out you know who would you take uh, you know Belichick now or Carroll now. That's not even a question for me. It would be Carroll. It would be Pete easily. Pete Carroll succeeds everywhere he goes, and his both their resumes are unbelievable. Mm. Uh, Carroll's resume 
to me is more impressive because of what he dominated at USC. Yeah, there were issues, but he dominated at USC and then uh, in the win column, I think 75 and 19, something like that. And then he gets to the Seahawks, and I'm thinking, well, okay, you know, usually that, that conversion up to the NFL from, from college success doesn't work. And it seems like everybody that gets hired in doing these things, it's kind of a couple of years, it's not working, and then they go back, much like mm-hmm. uh, Nick Saban with yeah. the Miami Dolphins. One season. Right, and, I, and, and you're thinking, wow, but in the end... In the end, he was the greatest Seahawk coach of all time yeah. in wins and losses and a Super Bowl. All he did was go and draft the greatest defense of all time, arguably. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I in, mean insane. But to your point, I agree. I think Pete would, is better. Uh, it, most, of the, most of the point, and I think a lot of it echoed in Pete's press conference yesterday, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of the Seahawks fans who listened to the show went and listened to Pete's stuff yesterday. Yeah. In some form or fashion, they were tweeting out clips of it, and his right. voice is everywhere, and you can hear the emotion in his voice and how much this meant to him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how much he wanted to coach. And, and how much he wanted to coach. But you just get like something that players just receive a lot more, are more receptive to now, even if they, they don't have all the pieces in place, is just how much a coach loves them. Yeah. And nobody loves his players more than Pete Carroll does. I'm not quite sure Bill Belichick <laughs> loves his players, but if they have Tom Brady That's in funny. the building, it makes it a lot easier to say, well, our defense is going to be pretty good. Tom's going to lead us to 13 wins. Yeah, and yeah. so if Bill's going to be nasty with us, okay, whatever. That's fine. You know, but, just but, from the from the outside looking in, Belichick to me, and again, I, I do not, I can't speak to to Patriots and Patriot fans and their, and their love of uh, Belichick if they have it. One guy on Rome hated the guy. And, um, but, but. And I'm not going to jump on and pile on with the the haters that say, well, it was all Tom Brady. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, not even close. It wasn't. But Belichick did have the opportunity post-Tom Brady to continue or show some some coaching wizardry, and clearly that didn't happen. It did not. No, they're, they're bad. They're bad now. And most importantly, it was thinking, how are they going to replace that quarterback? Yeah. And he failed massively on replacing Tom Brady. But was it him or was it the general manager? He's the GM. Oh, he is the GM. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> well, then he failed. He <laughs> failed in a huge way. But did he fail as a GM or as a coach? No, he didn't fail as a GM. But if you're GM for 20 plus years, if you do anything for 20 plus years, it's really hard to keep the standard as high as it is because things evolve, players evolve, yeah. evaluations evolve, yeah. et cetera. And if you have a bad five year stretch, essentially, like he's had, like Pete has had, Pete was also. Had final say in Seattle mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for all their draft picks and such. All the way till the end. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, that's what it seemed like. So if you have like a bad five year stretch, that's pretty detrimental for the following five years after that when your yes. roster is supposed yeah. to be chock full of those players. And it's hard. It's like having a bad five year stretch of recruiting in college football. You can't recover from that. You can't recover from Gary Anderson. But Nick Saban never had a bad five-year stretch of recruiting at Alabama. That's why his teams are in the national championship every single year. So it's like it's very synonymous, actually, with these yeah, three. Of yeah. Having to keep this high standard for this long, it's, it's very hard, and especially the NFL League just built for parity. It, when the, when the parity is pushed so far forward, it's so hard to keep that level of just greatness. You mentioned something, and it, it, it gets me to another point, too, about uh, Nick Saban that I was thinking. There might be, I don't know if he'll admit it or if it'll ever come out, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was an element of him 
not wanting to deal with where we are now with the portal and NIL. I don't doubt it. Think of it now as a college coach. I'd say the best frame of a college coach, I'm going to catch flack for this, but there's a reason Dan Lanning is number one, was, uh, I'd say number two for the Alabama job. Eight, because he's like young, full of energy. Who is number one? Sark, I think. Steve Sarkeesian. Oh, the, I think I think he I, to me like it was landing and they wanted landing bad. From from what I read online, I think Sark was the was number one. Mostly because he'd already coached there. Well, I know as far as landing goes, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but as far as landing goes, he shut it down very quickly Co- this morning. Yeah, coached in a very high role too, wasn't like offensive coordinator. I think I, I yeah, no, Landing did spend some time at Bama, but he wasn't a coordinator. No, he was a GA. He is a GA, so Sark, I guess, understood that, and that's why I think he was one. Yeah. But Lanning was right next, and Sark was probably like Lanning and said, nope, so I'm good, they, I'm at Texas. Did they go to Sark and ask him this morning? I, I don't know if they asked Sark, but I would imagine he shut it down pretty quickly because we never even saw anything out no, there. He's was, like, why would I? I'm, co- I'm the head coach of the University of Texas. Why do I need to, and I don't see, need I to go to Bama? I didn't see any quotes or anything like that. I just saw everything all about Lanning. If I would guess, from uh, I, I, would, I would say Sark was one, I'd say Lanning was two, and there was the rumor last night that Lanning was in Tuscaloosa. Apparently yeah, not. Right, and he was like, right. nope, I'm right here. I think <laughs> the Ducks Twitter account he, he posted a photo of his, like, go find me. And it was in <laughs> Eugene. Yeah. So I, I got I to gotta chuckle at that. So we shut that down. Now, I know Dave from Tumwater might, is going to be pretty happy about this. I think everything I've read, Kalen DeBoer's next. He's only making yeah, $4 million yeah, dollars right, at Washington right, right now, now. And that's, that's see, that was funny because I saw yesterday on Twitter, as Mike arrives, yesterday on Twitter, um, there was uh, Softy and some others, mm-hmm. and they were all panicking. Yeah. Because it was right after, it was right after he made the announcement of mm-hmm. retiring, and everybody in, in Washington and Seattle were panicking about whether or not they can keep Kalen DeBoer. His, and there may be some truth to his that. His salary right now is only like $4 million. I mean, you're telling me Alabama can't, more than double that. Yeah. And how, how could you resist that? So think of it from this point. Like, Kalen DeBoer at Washington, he's been a great football coach, but recruiting, not like not really his forte. Not not to an elite level, but when you're at Alabama, that takes care of itself. Oh, the brand does. The yeah. brand 100% takes care of itself. So now, oh, instead of recruiting the 40th to 20th best roster in college football at Washington... He could be right there next to Kirby Smart. And Mike, does, let's say, Kalen DeBoer leaves for Alabama, does that make Husky fan change their mind about going into the Big Ten with such cockiness? <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't. These are all good questions. And the, I don't know, isn't, I don't care. I'm not saying <laughs> that to you. We, I, we I, love it when we throw questions out yeah. and people, nah, who cares? happens and to I me all the time. It happens a lot. And you want world. to reach through and punch them. Right. It's like, oh, really? Okay, yeah. well, then but, we won't have a show anymore. Man, but what I, So I am not trying to be one of those, so to speak. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, yeah. All I care about is the beavers. All I care about is 1816 and 1980. Explain that to me. Now, I've got Kalen <clears throat> DeBoer on the mind, too, and yeah. all of these. What a day. What a 24-hour period. I know, I know. And last thing before we bring you in and we just continue. And I will talk to TJ, too, in a second. Yeah, last thought here is that I I read an article on The Athletic, too, that uh, it's just so funny how there's enough outlets of of media-type stuff that they'll look for any angle. It was 
let's learn who this Greg Byrne really is. Oh. Or we will learn by his next hire who he really is. And it was a really... Meaning w- what? Yeah, it was a really well-written article about all of his hires at Mississippi State and with baseball and, and basketball and all his different hires, and it was all very positive about Greg Byrne. But now he's on the schneid for bringing in the next replacement. And, you know, it talked a little bit about how he's been preparing for this daily, practically, since he got the job back in 2017. The, this moment in time yeah. that would come yeah. with the, the Nick Tater. Having as to replace the Jim, great Nick Jim, yeah, Jim Rome has called him through the years. <laughs> what a day for Rome to, to be reaching out to Alabama fan and asking for a reaction. And I didn't, I only through Rome did I hear that the first name that came up in a lot of people's minds was the guy down the road who has yeah. apparently said, no, I'm yeah, staying, no, I'm going. Out. Yeah, okay, so so he ain't going there. At least, you know, sometimes coaches say that, and then they end up there anyway, Right. But still. Which he actually, he the, his quote when the Texas A&M job came up was held on to and then reposted because in that quote, okay. he talked about yeah. that very thing. Sometimes coaches will overcommit when they give quotes right. and da da da, and then they regret it when they have to do something they don't want to do. Da 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 da. But I'm staying here. This was the Texas A&M job, right? So it was put they just out threw there that again. back out there again. And then okay. he addressed it, and as TJ said, uh, doing some fun stuff on Twitter about find me and where I am because I saw the tweets, TJ, of uh, Dan Landing is in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I did. That was that was some interesting reporting, but. I, I think it's pretty official he's not going anywhere. When you say interesting, are you saying false? Well, K-Val's that, that he rep- was not there? K- K-Val reported yesterday he was in Tuscaloosa. Now, why would they if he wasn't? They want to forget the name of the of the anchor, but said that he had sources that said Dan Lanning was in Tuscaloosa. Okay. But there were other people who refuted that report, and then the official Oregon football account this morning and Dan Lanning himself made it very publicly known he's not going anywhere. But see, Mike, for you and I on this show, I, I can't tell you, and for the morning show, I can't tell you how many times I someone will come into the room and show me something on a phone, right. or text, Bob texts me all the time, um, and I'm like, mm, I'm not going with anything until I know for a fact that it's official. Mm-hmm. And some outlets apparently don't. Had him, had him down there yeah. and whatever. Okay, yeah. well, he, so not him, but... I'm well. All of the, the the who's next in all three places is an interesting question, and the NFL vacancies and and all of that and the legacies of these three men and Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and Pete Carroll all on one day. They, those are major stories. They're big yeah. stories and worth kicking around a little bit. In a few minutes, Angie Machado, more pertinent to our world, mm-hmm. will talk about transfer portal young men and the coaching staff and the work that they're about uh, with the Beavers going forward. So we look forward to Angie from Poolside in Puerto Vallarta. Good for her. Then uh, at 12.05, as you've mentioned, Roxy, he has the call tonight with Adrian Branch on ESPN2. The Beavers in Stanford and our good friend Roxy Bernstein will talk about tonight's game, yes, but we'll also get into the bigger picture kind of stuff with Roxy and where he senses this is all going mm. with respect to Stanford coming in, John Platt saying this may be the last, or is it now, as the man says in the open? We'll, we'll get into all of that. But the bigger picture stuff to me that's interesting <coughs> and a little bit more germane perhaps to our world right here in the Pacific Northwest, 
TJ and I saw one another last evening, both finishing up a bit of a workout there at uh, Sam Fit on mm-hmm. 9th Street in Cordale in Corvallis, finishing it up. And TJ asked me how it was going. I asked him the same thing. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was good to see the young man. He's always there. Anytime I'm there, he's there. So I know he's there a lot more than I am. And yeah. I'm happy for yeah. him. I just know it. I know it. I can feel it. I can read it in his in his face. I can see he, it he's, in he's the not, work that he does. He's not married with kids. Very consistent <laughs> in his approach. I don't even think life. he has a dog. Well, and, and so, One yeah, day. you got a little a little more freedom in that respect. And you use it well. You use your time well. But, TJ, I was interested in what you said about listening to Pete sort of farewell mm-hmm. and almost tearing up yeah. that mm-hmm. this is your coach. You were 11 years mm-hmm. old when he got the job. And to me, these this is what makes sports interesting. We can argue about legacy and who was better and who had the better record and who's going to be next to different places and how will him going here affect this guy there. And those are all conversations we should have and they're having on the national level. But for me, to hear TJ speak from the heart as a fan, not a huge... Are you a huge Seahawk yes. fan? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not a, you're a bigger Mariner fan than Seahawk fan. Probably, yeah. But the Seahawks mean a lot to you, have meant yeah. a lot to you. And you said, listening to Pete, I'm not sure if you expected to be moved emotionally, but I, you I but don't you think were. I was. I was, yeah. What got you? Ooh, well, just again, just how much he cares. Like, he cares so much about all of it. All the players, all the... Uh, all the people in the organization, all, all the fans, and just cares about, you know, his simple, uplifting, positive message that he always mm-hmm. echoes, which is competing all the time, every time, all the time, etc. That's why he was great at USC. That's why he was great in the NFL, too. And it's just amazing to see, like, just the impact he had on all, all these players from all these different backgrounds and all these different personalities. And it's just crazy. There's a picture that happened yesterday, uh, last night. Russell Wilson flew back to Seattle to celebrate Pete Carroll's Did going he? away. Oh, okay. Yeah. I With mean, Richard Sherman. In a, so Richard too? Sherman was there. Cam Chancellor was there. I mean, there at the yeah. press conference? No, not at the press conference. They had, like, dinner mm-hmm. after. There was a dinner party last night. Earl Thomas? I did not see him there. <laughs> I was wondering if he was okay. going to show up. Okay. But everyone else from, like, the, the a lot of guys from that 2013 team, which historically famously broke apart because they couldn't get along right but they were all there for one guy pete and it's amazing to see the impact that he has i'm glad i'm glad that because there are you said broke apart misgivings the one play in time where dave yesterday said you don't get that yard if you get the yard if you hand it to marshawn if it was marshawn there <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Okay, if if you get the yard, every the whole conversation about the legacy and everything it's feels different. different. And maybe you keep things mm-hmm. together. That one decision in time, that one moment in time in a great football game, you didn't get. And that's part of Belichick's legacy that he had a guy make a play in that moment when mm-hmm. the Seahawks were right there to win two mm-hmm. in a row. And mm-hmm. so all of that, it looked like some of the people who may have had some ambivalence towards Pete or misgivings or even criticism, heavily critical of Mm -hmm. him and the way he treated Russell and favored Russell or whatever it is that divided a locker room. Mm -hmm. It sounds as though the 30,000-foot view as years have gone on that some of the people who may have been openly critical of Pete on certain levels understood, though, at the same time, what a great person and coach he was and what he meant to the organization. And it ultimately boiled down to what I told you last night of the, the main takeaway from his press conference yesterday is, again, just how much he loves the players mm-hmm. and how much he wanted to prop up the players and how much he was trying to hammer home to the league, to the owners, that 
like how underrepresented the players are in terms of promoting the product and and just putting them on a pedestal and understanding that the league is does not exist the way it does without the players. And he seemed to be one of the only guys that is like standing on an elevated surface, shouting at everyone, trying to get everyone's attention about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know if the NFL and the other owners were receptive to what he was saying, but he stayed consistent. He hasn't let anyone else say it saying anything else change his mind about that and he's going to continue to do that until he stops engaging yeah. in football well it's amazing now that's a great observation about pete and when i think of pete carroll john and it's hard for us not to yeah. in our world him throwing the football around through the fog in 2004 when he had that national championship yeah. team that went 13 and 0 and he and the beavers had them down 13 to nothing early mm-hmm. And it was a great football more. game. Twenty, yeah, we settled for field goals. Right down deep a couple of times, and and USC's defense was good enough to keep the Beavers mm-hmm. out of the end zone. So thirteen could have been twenty. It could have been seventeen nothing. It was thirteen to nothing, and then USC had enough to come back and win twenty eight to twenty. A great football game on yep. the Fog Bowl with Reggie making one of his transcendent plays uh, on the punt return. We'll we'll never forget that. Right, but I'll never forget Pete. Throwing the football around with his son in the fog, laughing, chewing his gum, smiling, running up and down the sidelines. That was an image from that game in 04. 06, hugging Mike Riley after the game, after his 27 straight wins, and saying to Mike, if anybody was going to get me, I'm glad it was you, which is a very classy thing to say to Mike in that moment with the sea of orange rushing the field October Mm -hmm. 28, 2006. And then two years later, Pete wasn't quite as magnanimous perhaps uh, with Riley when the Beavers did it again and my image from that night is him running up and down the sidelines and watching the game later and saying out loud you could read his lips we can't tackle the guy (laughs) referring to Jacquez Rogers and his 188 yard game in beating the Trojans on that Thursday night and Pete almost (laughs) like who is this guy what's going on we can't tackle the guy they couldn't find him behind the line right it was 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 unbelievable so we have memories in our own memories and you have memories and being able to talk to him uh at pac-12 media day and uh i've i've always loved him i thought he was a great guy and an incredible coach his his yes. run at usc yeah. you know some because oh yeah he cheated mm-hmm. okay fine who didn't but his run his win total at usc was incredible he wins a national championship two two mm-hmm. and then Pat he does Casey. what he does with the with the uh, seahawks in 14 yeah. seasons back i don't know back. that there's a better one i mean it match those numbers that's tough in terms of yeah in terms of, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson only won one of each, didn't he? One Super Bowl? One Super yeah, Bowl and one mean. national championship. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back and look. And these are the things that we'll be endlessly debated about. Who's the greatest uh-huh. going back and forth, swinging between college and pro? It's a small conversation yeah. of great ones who've won at the highest level at both Jimmy Johnson uh, and Pete Carroll comprise. There may be one or two others. But who else has won Super Bowls and national titles? That's I a think great of those question. two. Who else? I don't know. I, I, Anybody? That's, a, that's uh, I'd have to think uh, about well, it. Well, Jimmy Johnson did. Yes. Yeah. Jimmy Johnson, Pete Jake Carroll. Jake certainly didn't. Jim Harbaugh was close. Yes. So yeah. I th- so that puts Pete in an elevated uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. status, to be sure. Now, He's on the Mount Rushmore. Before you go, before you go, what was that interesting anecdote that you discovered? Did you guys know, I read this yesterday, it blew my mind, of the three coaches who retired in the last 20, or retired, stepped away in the last 24 hours, they're all defensive coaches of Croatian descent. Now, 
I would have believed that with respect to to Bill and Nick. Just I don't know yeah. why, but I didn't know that about Pete Carroll. It's incredible. I read that yesterday. That okay. blew my mind. Well, that, little, that's, little that's, that's kind of a Josh Wharton kind of thing. That is hard to put together. Yeah. And it's a proud, certainly that's, that's got to be a proud story in, in well, the, yeah. that nation's history. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Speaking of an elevated status in our world, Angie Machado to talk about the 13 and other matters as we continue on the Joe Beaver Show. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker, John Warren, Roxy Bernstein coming up at 12.05. We talk about good friends, old friends, and from the standpoint, not that our next friend is old. But she's been with us a long time. That qualifies. Yeah, and so we are old friends, friends together here on the Joe Beaver Show. And she, Angie Machado, publisher of BeaverBlitz.com, is on a little vacation after hectic times. And they will continue to be with all kinds of news and things to follow. Her staff is continuing to do well. And I'm, even now, in a sense, she's working on this little yeah, getaway. Yeah, because we're interrupting Yeah, we're on this getaway to beautiful Puerto Vallarta. But, Angie, we appreciate your time, and I'm told you've gone indoors for this, so we don't get to I hear the indoors. frolicking in the pool or the beach. How, how are things there? <laughs> it's good. Yeah, the whole – our flight was canceled yesterday. We found out Tuesday, so it was a little hectic Tuesday trying to reschedule. But uh, we got down here with a couple friends, and then a whole other group of friends are coming in today. So this is a big group – well, not huge group, but there's, mm-hmm. there's a nice chunk of all friends from Oregon State days. So, um, yeah, it's – I mean, nice. the friendships made at Oregon State, and yes, I am old, Mike. I, I do qualify as old, so um, okay. yeah. So it's it's just it's it's a good time. So That's great. And last year, and yeah, it's it's just a fun time to get away. But you're right; it, it was kind of needed right now. It's been a crazy month and a half. It has certainly a very busy, uh, eventful six weeks for Trent Bray as the new head coach. Before we get to specific guys that are on your mind that you know of that you've written about at Beaver Blitz. What do you make of what's happened in Trent's era, what he's been doing and building the staff, recruiting the portal, et cetera, your overall take through these first six-plus weeks? Yeah, you know, it's been a whirlwind, especially for Trent, to try to coach Bray to get that, that staff together. But what I, what I look at in today's day and age, and it's really changed a lot, seriously, in the past, like, two years even, three years, with the portal and the NIL. But, um, but I think we're starting, you know, we're, so many coaches and players are jumping around for Trent to be able to to bring in a staff of, of guys that want to be here, want to be at Oregon State, um, know what, what the place is, what it means. Um, and you, you go right down the list from, from Ryan Gunderson to Keith Hayward to, you know, Eliza Tuyaki is not an alumni, but he has coached in, in Corvallis before, um, you know, Kyle Devan. I mean, there's a group of guys that understand what it takes, understand what it's like, and just grinding and uh, putting together a pretty good transfer class that, uh, you know, we, we see them working hard on. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's kind of a testament, and I don't think you can take this class and say this is what a, a Trent Bray, Ryan Gunderson, Keith Hayward, cla- you know, class is going to look in year in year out. But for them to kind of cobble together this group of guys, I think speaks volumes. The one thing that I've wondered, and I wonder if you have a reaction to it, and I, I don't want this to be perceived necessarily. Well, that's a negative question or attitude or thinking, Mike. Don't don't do that. There there was a sense of Angie, I thought, and I wonder what you make of. The hiring of Trent, a lot of people said, oh, he'll, he'll retain all the defensive guys. There won't be any movement in the portal because the defensive guys love him, and he's a great defensive coach. There has been some attrition there, but it's been addressed through the portal. What do you kind of make of the give and take in the portal with respect to what Trent's been able to do? 
Yeah, I, it, and I mean, I, I think there can be a negative connotation because, you know, you think that. There's, there's so many things at play, though. Um, I, in our own message board, people talk, well, it's because Oregon State doesn't have NIL money. Okay, Oregon State does, and they are offering kids deals and packages. However, I mean, Oregon State doesn't have the, the kind of NIL deals that some of these other programs have across the country. It's just a fact. You just mm-hmm. don't have it. So um, there's that. And, but you've got to remember, too, that this, this whole day and age right now has gotten really um, the underbelly, I think, is, is not really attractive. I mean, a lot of these guys have, and I say agents in air quotes, they have handlers. Mm-hmm. And this isn't like, I, I really do think the NC2A needs to take a look at this because in NFL, agents have to be registered. And, you know, they have salary caps and they have kind of guardrails in there. And, and right now it is seriously the Wild West. These young men have handlers, agents that are trying to negotiate deals. And, you know, they might not get a percentage if they stay at their school. But, by golly, if we can place them in a bigger school and they get a $2 million paycheck, then we get our portion. I mean, there's a lot of, and I'm not saying this has happened at, at Oregon State. Or then you also have guys that maybe aren't destined to be in the NFL. And they're getting those grades back saying, hey, you'd be a late rounder. Um, league minimum, practice squad guy. So they have schools offering them some money. So it's like, okay, I'm going to jumpstart my career and, and take this money somewhere else now. Yeah, so I there's mean, a lot There's a lot to it, and, and I don't think there's probably one answer. And, and there's not. For each kid, it's a different story, a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I don't agree with is this whole idea, and Omar Spates fell into this last year with the, you need to go to someplace where you get exposure. You're going to get plenty of exposure, whether it's at Oregon State or, you know, what have you. Um, so I don't don't fall for that. But kids do. I mean, these are kids that are impressionable. They have you know people telling them things, and um, and we see we're seeing Jam Griffin is, yeah. is coming back to Oregon State. Yeah. So um, it's not necessarily everything like I said is so fluid. But there is kind of this dark underbelly um, I think out there that I really do think whether it's the NC and I don't even know if the NC two A has any teeth to do anything about it. But something kind of needs to be looked at because I do feel sometimes these kids are becoming. The, the pawns mm-hmm. for other people's business. So I don't. That's probably a conversation for a whole another day, though. I don't. I don't have it in front of me, Angie and Mike. But I will tell you this: that just prior to coming into the studio, I read an article on ESPN about that very thing that they've come up with. Uh, they've come up with for the very reason of staying away from seedy underbelly type deals that that agents can do, and they've come up with a baseline, or they're going to come up with a baseline of. Uh, uh, a contract that that all athletes can kind of look to and say this is what a contract should be, and also a pool of uh, of agents that uh, athletes can go to to avoid the very pitfalls of what you just described. So they're at least starting I mean, to address you it. You and I could be agents, mm-hmm. yeah. and and you know that's like I said, I. I I, you, you don't want these young men being taken advantage of right. at the end of the day. So, right. Anyway, like I said, that we could that was probably a way longer answer than you were looking for. But no, I it's think good. It's something that Very that good. will be addressed. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't, but I don't think you can also going back. It, it circles back is you know yes, Oregon State has NIL. Yes, they need more. However, um, that's not necessarily the reason guys are leaving. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, some guys you, you do you look at well okay, if I may not make an NFL roster. This might be my shot, uh, and if sure. I could, you guys, the money, the kind of money that I'm keep hearing about kids getting and offered is, is crazy. I mean, mm. I'll say it right now. Yeah, no, it's crazy, and and I think Nick Dashiell pointed out to a, a somebody on Twitter who was saying something, and he pointed out too. He says, like, look, 
even if a guy's not going to go pro, if he's being offered money, he should take it because mm-hmm. you can set yourself up for whatever career you're going exactly. into with yeah. money or that you don't want to get. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things there that can really can really help. I mean, and and you know, at the end of the day, we all do it. I mean, I was with a different network for you know 15, 14 years, and the chance to work with Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman at twenty four seven with that with the the publishers. It was a good deal for me mm-hmm. to make a move. So um, we do that. You know, you do that in business. You do that in life. So you can't begrudge these kids for doing that. No, um, no, not at all. Not at all. Hey, while we've got you, and before we jump into uh, some of these players that, that people want to know about, um, there's one question that we thought maybe we got it cleared yesterday, but I'm still not sure, and that is about jumping around. We had Stu Jackson of the West Coast Conference yesterday. He knows he's he's seen it all, and he, he did answer it properly, but I want clarification from me because I'm a little slow. And basically he said that players are like uh, regular students. They can come and go as often as they want, except for inside the windows that are provided. The only question that Mike and I had bounced around, and I don't understand it, is if, if some player comes right Right now, from uh, uh, LSU. LSU to Oregon State through the portal, and the portal window closes, and we've got him, okay? And he said it's not like a letter of intent. They don't sign anything. They're here. And then the next window opens up April 15th to April 30th. Can they go again? Can they just decide, yeah, I don't think I like it here. I'm going to go. So do you have to keep re- recruiting them while <laughs> they're going from portal window to portal window? Uh, I don't think you can in that year. They're, they're ha- I mean, right now, like, let's say one of these guys that uh, transfer. I mean, let's just grab um, one of the transfer guys. Um, let's just say uh, Tavita Pome, for example, okay. from Oregon. Yes. He, he has entered the transfer portal from Oregon. He is committed to Oregon State. He has signed a financial aid agreement. Now, once you go to cl- – so that financial aid agreement is not binding. Mm-hmm. So a few years are. A few years ago, Oregon State had a guy. They had him sign a financial aid agreement. He was from USC. And, yes, he's in. He signed his financial aid agreement. Oh, but I'm going to go back to Southern California and pack my stuff, mm. is what he told me. <laughs> he goes on his way out the door. Oregon's on the phone with him and said, can you stop by? And then, yeah, he never enrolled at Oregon State. So, but once they go to class, once they go to their first class, then they are in. I mean, then it's, it's a binding, as binding as it can be. So, um well, yes. binding as it can be, meaning that, as John's question put it, when the spring portal window opens up, in theory... I think that's to be there for the rest of the year. Okay. I, I do think that to finish the year. Okay. Um, but then all bets are off, though, if a coach leaves, then the, and then um, also grads. If, you, if you're a graduate, if you've already graduated, you can transfer at any time. You're a grad transfer. Without even... Without, yeah, without windows you. or anything. So, um, okay. yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of loopholes. And um, a lot of, and, and to be honest, there's a lot that I don't understand. I mean, my husband and I have these conversations all the time. And, he, and then, like, well, wait, how are guys entering right now mm-hmm. when the window closed? Well, they can, if their team was in, like, the national championship, for example, they have a week now that it's over. An extra week. Yeah, I got An you. An extra week. Okay. So, yeah. Angie, let's get to just the nuts and bolts, if you can, of the what I believe is 13 through Trent six weeks coming to Oregon State from the portal, and maybe because it's the room we're always most interested in exploring, the quarterback room. What are your thoughts about Giovanni McCoy from Idaho, Jabari Johnson from Missouri? What, is, what, what does that say to you, and what do you, what do you know about these young men? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, the, the portal. I mean, I look, I look at the list, and they really, you know, they, two quarterbacks and both. You know, I've watched some of the Idaho games, and I'm seeing mobile mobility. I'm seeing 
strong arms, decently strong arms, maybe not a DJ mm-hmm. strong arm because DJ could like sling it. But um, yeah, these guys are going to be able to move, but they're also going to be able to pass. Um, like I said, I can't wait. When I get next week, I'm hoping to sit down with, with Coach uh, Hayward and Coach Gunderson and just kind of really talk about philosophies, especially Gundy, just because I, with Hayward, I think he's going to be running more of a, a Trent philosophy. But those two quarterbacks stand out. You know, when you look at them, just because they are athletic, they're athletes. So, um, you know, you look there, they also went really, I mean, when I look at the, they have three D linemen committed transfers, um, you know, Tavita Pomey from Oregon, Mm -hmm. Taiji Hill from LSU are the two that kind of stand out big. I mean, they are going big. These are six, three to six, five, Mm -hmm. over 300 pound guys. Um, big, big bodies. Same with the O line. There's a, there's a couple O linemen in, in the mix that are just big bodies. You know, you're looking at six, five, over 300 pounds. So, um, I, I see Oregon State really trying to beef up the two lines. And I think when you look at what happened um, well, against Notre Dame, the lines pretty much got demolished on both sides. But I look back to the Alabama-Michigan game and what Michigan was able to do and then in the national championship. What they were able to do dominating both sides of the offensive and defensive line was unreal. And I, I, I see that big body um, you know, really looking to, to make that, that jump for Oregon State. Also going heavy with the corners, three cornerback mm-hmm. transfers. Beef still need a safety. I, I'd like to see him get a safety, but um, some really strong candidates. I mean, Kobe Singleton really jumps out at me. He was a, a Northwest kid from Pasco, Washington. Um, Coach Hayward had recruited him at a, at a high school. He ended up, I believe, ACL, like senior year. Recruitment kind of plummeted. Ended up at Utah State and then transferred to Liberty. But just, I mean, huge numbers for this guy. So he's got one year, but then you got a couple other guys, say, at, Cy Vandra Wale mm-hmm. out of Cal. I mean, there's, there's some athletic guys, some taller guys. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what those you know, guys can do. And Mason White, another corner with some length at 6'1", yeah, 185. And Mason White's an, he's an interesting one because we covered him last year. Oregon State was after him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the portal, Oregon State. He was down to Oregon State and TCU. He ended up at TCU and now um, decided, wait, I really think I need to be at Oregon State. So he is, you know was able to get, you know, turned around and, and back to Oregon State. But um, guys that really believe in the system, um, I, I'm excited. And, and we're seeing the, the, the recruiting fireworks, really, especially on that defensive side with Tuiaki and Hayward and Bray. I mean, those guys are just killing it um, yeah, across tell, the board. Tell us a little bit more about Tuiaki with respect. Elisa Tuiaki coming back. Did he see writing on the wall early and get out? I mean, you know, there's some people saying, well, that's a Gary. Some people have said to me, well, they're bringing a guy back from the Gary Anderson. Or, well, yeah, but it almost looked like he made a move to get out, kind of seeing maybe where things were going. He's a good coach, and it sounds like he's recruiting the heck out of it. Yeah, yeah. No, he was, um, you know, he went to, uh, to BYU, and that was kind of his, you know, he actually stepped down from BYU. I, um Oh, gosh, I'm totally spacing, and I haven't even had a cocktail by the pool. <laughs> BYU coach. Uh, Kalani, Kalani Sataki. Uh, Kalani. Yeah. yeah, I kept wanting to say Tuiaki. Mm-hmm. Kalani Sataki, he was a Kalani Sataki guy. Mm-hmm. So when Kalani got the head coaching job at BYU, Eliza Tuiaki went with him. So um, very good guy, per se. He was okay. a Kalani yeah. Sataki guy. So <laughs> he has great ties in the Polynesian community and um, in Utah. So, you know, you look at, like, Tavita Pomey. Is, is coming from Utah, where, you know, both, I mean, Keith Hayward had a relationship. I, Trent Bray had some with him. But this was a, a Utah connection with, with Eliza. And then, you know, just, you know, looking at, you guys will know the name Moala. And uh, Eric Moala's son played at the same high school as um, Tavita Pomey. 
and uh, he's actually walking on at Oregon State. He had gone down to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, Josiah is his name, and um, I, I got word the other day that Oregon State offered him a preferred walk-on spot, and he's moving to Corvallis. Dream come true for, for a, another Moala. Moala. Yeah, nice. Um, so <laughs> Eric and, and Tavita's nephew, so the late Tavita Moala's hey, uncle, another, or nephew. So. Another big lineman you haven't mentioned that's intriguing sounding just in terms of his size, and that's Ami Peliasi Longy, 6'6", 310, started at a JC, ended up at Nebraska, uh, two years at Houston, but only played in four games. So you wonder, well, was he buried in the rotation or what? I mean, you wonder with that kind of size and all of that, that whether he could be a guy that would help up front too. Yeah, you know, and when I was digging around, he was one of the first commitments out of the portal back in December and didn't put up great stats. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I really kind of sat back and was like, huh. I, I, I wasn't right. blown away by him. But he does have size. And in, in this system, you really need those D linemen just to really plug up the, the you know, those lanes and let the linebackers come in and do the cleanup work. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're going big body um, and then a, and a heavy rotation. So um, I, I have 100,000% confidence in what Trent wants to do in defense. So, Excellent. Um, yeah. You know, I, like I said, that one didn't wow me necessarily, but in talking to some people that really know defensive football, um, you know, he could turn out to be a really, a really solid guy. And then remember there's guys on the roster. I mean, I, I look at Schuster from Minnesota, the transfer from last year and, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I think have been kind of the younger guys that we're going to have to see this spring, too, to see where they're at as well. On the offensive line, two big guys, and Jim Wilson says the best guys that he remembers watching at work for the Colorado line, an embattled O-line, but Jared Christian Lichtenhan, 6'10", 315, I think that'll make him the tallest player in the history of Oregon State football, and Van Wells, the center at 6'2", 290. Jimmy likes them both, Angie. What are your thoughts about yeah. them? I mean, Van Wells was their number one lineman. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, Beaver fans have kind of like, well, okay, you're getting two linemen from Colorado. You're right. They were the two best alignment at Colorado. And second, you know, watch what Colorado did. You had um, Shadour Sanders, who really was trying to improvise. So mm-hmm. no matter what blocking scheme you're, you're running as an offensive line, if your quarterback's running around and, right. and not sticking with the play, it's going to look bad for, for the line. So um, I think you've got to take that with a grain of salt a little bit, but I'm excited. But, again, you see the size. I mean, these guys are, are big dudes. Um, I, I, like I said, I just think Oregon State is really going to transform in the next several years, especially on the two fronts, just bigger yeah. bigger guys, hey. you know, bigger arm, you know, uh, arm spans, bigger, taller, uh, heavier. We have mentioned just about everybody, Nick Norris. Uh, we've talked a little bit, Kobe Singleton. We've talked about some guys that you've talked about. But let's close a little bit with the running backs. Jam returning, and Anthony Hankerson, an intriguing running back, also from Colorado. What are your thoughts about that "quote unquote" running back room now? Yeah, the running back. I mean, I, I just I love it. You, you still got your you have Dame and Isaiah Newell, and then you bring Jam back, which gives you that great change of pace. And Hankerson was a really good back for Colorado, mm-hmm. so um, I love that mix. I, I also really like the couple of the preps they picked up. You know, Cornell Hatcher. Um, Remember another great Beaver, great Armin Hatcher, his, mm-hmm. his uh, nephew. Uh, Cornell, was he scored 42 touchdowns this past year at Corona Centennial. Great powerhouse program down in, in Southern California. Right. So uh, not that these freshmen are going to be you know, playing this year, but a couple guys, Alahadine Allah Salah out of Lamarck, Texas, is a, another late addition. I, I just love his film. A, a guy that can just hit the hit the hole and, and take off with a, with a burst. So um, really interesting group and I, I really like the the direction of it. I think Thomas Ford, the, the new running back coach, is gonna be huge. 
I've already heard great return, but the guys love him. Um, and then just his ties within the Northwest recruiting, especially, are going to going to be great. But I love that running back room because I think, yeah, I, I think Oregon State really missed Jam this year, just with that change of pace. And nothing against Deshaun or Dane, but Jam gave a different different look, and and Oregon State missed that a little bit to an extent this in in 2023. So to have him back and and that room now is, I would say, it's staffed. I, I really like what that room yeah. is is kind of developed into. Angie, we're going to let you get back to the pool and the cocktail and the sun and every everything else that Puerto Vallarta offers. Thank you for taking time away to join us. Let's stay in touch. We know you're just taking a short time out, recharging, and we'll be right back at it with the conversations you mentioned with Gundy and Keith, and, and we'll stay in touch. But have a great weekend, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for your time. Uh, well, And, and yeah. yeah, hopefully the snow holds out because there's a couple big visitors coming in this weekend. So, oh. um, yeah, hopefully you guys can, can stay kind of uh, – kind of dry we we I, cornell hatcher is one and um i'll just let you, your listeners yeah. in um wide receiver darius clemens we've confirmed is coming in he's from michigan but he was a former high three-star low four-star out of portland westview yeah um he is coming in and then a missouri edge rusher is coming in so okay um, couple couple big guys if they can get in with the weather it's good information. The weather's going to hold, right, Johnny? We're going to take a break. Thanks, Angie, Thanks, so much, Thanks. as always. That's Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. We break. Roxy coming up, Joe Radio. Maybe the snow will be viewed as a novelty. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, this is cool. Snow. Well, I mean, other yeah. big programs but are in snow places. As Angie said, though, the big thing is good enough weather to at least get in and then go have fun playing in the snow. Yeah. Hey, we get this all the time. It's a great time. Roxy Bernstein coming up next. Let's hear a story. Someone somewhere a long time ago made a suggestion to a kid in L.O. You ought to go on the radio. But everybody knows. Take two to make a radio program. Down south, the Rau River kid wasn't so sure and still isn't. I'm just a country boy. I ain't even sure I want to stay in this dang old radio business. Ah, but stay they both did and met up in the Mid-Valley 20 years ago with a compulsion to tell them about the beavers in Corvallis and beyond. Tell them in Eugene, Albany, Salem, tell them! And in Jervis and Amity and Shedd and Lewisburg. Ah, but not just for today. Why are those radio programs every week? Have you a radio program coming in right now? Yes, but a reminder. Life's so Yes, call now, because the Joe Beaver Show is on the air on 1240 Joe Radio. Well, the great prophet, bard, singer, Bruce Coburn, life short, call now. But eh, we'll have open phones after our next guest, because the Downward Dog phone line has been usurped by a good friend. We just visited with Angie Machado about uh, happenings in the portal. We have a happening tonight at Gill Coliseum. A series tied all time, 76-76. Yeah, yeah. a lot of games. The Beavers in Stanford tonight at 8 on ESPN2. Roxy Bernstein working the game with Adrian Branch. And Roxy is kind enough to take a little time away from the Stanford shoot-around to join us for a few minutes. Roxy, good afternoon. How are you? Mike, I'm doing great. Good to be back in Corvallis. Well, it is good to have you back. When... When were you last here? I was here, so I double-dipped the Hall of Fame weekend. So I did that over double overtime game against Troy, which the Bees found a way to win. Oh, and that's the right. Day yes. When they destroyed Stanford in football, yes, I was here for that. But of course, I went to the Hall of Fame banquet, as you know. Brent Berry and I are very that's close, right. growing up together, so I made sure I was here for that weekend. 
And so that was a great weekend to be here and to be a part of it. And my first time back, since. Good to have you back. That's, uh, that's also when I came by and said hi for the first time. Uh, yeah. Down low on the press row. Yeah, exactly. And right. And, and it was so funny because at, at the dinner after the, the game, because obviously the game went longer. So I missed. So they ate. So the people at the table, they didn't think I was coming. <laughs> they ate they your ate food. My dinner. Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to throw any of the family members of this Beaver Hall of Famer on under the bus. But just so you know, it, it was not Brent. I will say that there was somebody who went into the Hall of Fame that night. Wow! Some of his family members they ate my dinner. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Roxy! And, well, I didn't get there because it is funny because so. And Brent gave a little dig at Wayne Tinkle yes. during his speech <laughs> yes, about did. not fouling when they had the chance to foul up three at the end of regulation. <laughs> and then Wayne texted me later that night and says, I never foul. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, that whole thing is beautiful in its own way. Brent knew because the Beavers had won in double OT. You called it on TV. I was calling it on radio. But because they won, Brent had the liberty to throw that little <laughs> jab in there. Had they lost, he would have stayed away from it. <laughs> and Brent was hysterical in his speech that night. He was fantastic. <laughs> and it was awesome to see. I know it was such a special night for him. and Because he hadn't been back here in a long time. No, and he hadn't. His wife was with him, and I was just happy I could be there, and he was really appreciative because you know, it's, it's not easy for his family to get here. So I was like the only one that was part of like his quote unquote family that was here to support him that night. You know, and I was really pleased too, that he did come back. I've always wondered, <clears throat> and he dispelled any notion about ambivalence and maybe he has some, you know, on a certain level and conversations that you've had and so on about his time here. But I thought it was, it felt like a a welcome back to a guy who had been away for a long time. And even for me, and how does he feel about Oregon State? What are his thoughts about his experience here? And if anybody had any doubt about his overall regard and maybe a 30,000-foot view and maturation and years go by, Roxy, it struck me that he really sounded a note of, of appreciation and gratitude for his time here and gave love to Jimmy and to a lot of other people. He, he loves Oregon State. And he's still close with his teammates that he played with here. And, okay, he hadn't been back, but let's face it, he was playing in the NBA for a long time. Then he was working TV in the NBA, and now he's the assistant GM for the Spurs. And so it was challenging for him to get back here. I know he spent some time around the team up at the PK-85 uh, when the Beavers played at, of course, last Thanksgiving up in Portland. Mm -hmm. uh, and he went to the hotel and saw some of the guys, and in fact, I know it because I was with him when he went to the Oregon State Hotel mm -hmm. and said hello to a bunch of people, and they were appreciative that he came by, and they, hey, look, anything you ever want, everything, please, you know, you're one of the greats at Oregon State history, please come back. Yeah. And it meant a lot to him that he's embraced. I know he has a good relationship with Wayne, um, and still has a lot of affinity and special moments for his time here at Corvallis. Great to hear. Roxy Bernstein joining us, good friends with Brent, and so he's back for the first time since then. First time since then, and I don't want to say, but John Platts, the outstanding analyst and author who's written on Stanford football history now, uh, his companion book to the history of Stanford basketball, really liked John. He was on with us a couple of days ago, Roxy, and he used the phrase that we're all 
it's hovering over everything. He said, well, looking forward to getting to Gill for maybe the last time, he said. <laughs> and it just, when you hear somebody say that, it almost puts it in, you know, it could be for a while, maybe forever. So big picture stuff, Roxy. Where do you kind of see this all going? Stanford, Cal, the Beavers. How do you kind of feel about two, three, four years down the road what we might be looking at? I think we're looking at in a few years, Mike, and I don't know the timetable, but I think we're coming back. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And I think football is going to do its own thing as far as whether, you know, the Chip Kelly model that he threw out there, everybody's independent. Uh, but football is going to be, I think, separate. And when that happens, I think we go back to what we know is the regional rivalries and regional matchups. Because it, it is stupid that Cal and Miami are in the same league. Stanford yeah. and Virginia Tech and Syracuse. It just makes zero sense. Right. And I, I think that you know, for two years we'll see the Beavers in, in Washington State in the WCC, which is a good league as we know. And it's been a multi-bid league for a number of years now. And yes, okay, it changes the dynamic with BYU now in the Big 12. But it, I think, enhances the league that Oregon State and Washington State will go. And it's a competitive league, as you guys know. And then we'll see what happens in, in a couple years from now. But I, I fully anticipate things changing again when they, in two years from now when they realize how stupid this thing is. <laughs> and it'll come back to, I think, more regionalization, which, let's face it, when kids decide to go to school, Kids didn't decide to go to Stanford so they could go play a game at Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or to Blacksburg, Virginia. Right. And I think it'll change again And this ever-evolving landscape. Now, I think we're in agreement, and, and a lot of people are in agreement that that will change, but how do you feel about how it will change? For example, do you put any, any stock in that whole Brett Yormark, ACC, the two remaining Pac-12s, and then the Big 12, making three divisions of 10 teams and having it be done that way? Is there, is there any particular way, Roxy, that you, you subscribe to that it will happen or just that you know it's stupid and it's going to happen? There are people smarter than me that that's what they're going to figure out. I just like to criticize. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Point fingers. When I don't have that responsibility, yeah, right. When I can just sit here and say, "Oh, this guy made a mistake." Mm-hmm. They are the ones that screwed up. But I don't want to, I don't want that responsibility. But smarter people will figure this out, and hopefully, they do get it straight. And in all this movement and all the conference consolidation, realignment, whatever you want to call it. I, I, to be honest with you, I blame the school presidents more than I blame every, anybody for dissolving the Pac-12 as we know it. And hopefully they can figure it out, and hopefully they get out of their own way, and they let people who know the sports landscape and the business figure this out, because that unfortunately got us in this mess in the situation that we're in now. Roxy Bernstein joining us. He'll have the call tonight of the game, which we'll get to in a moment. It's an intriguing matchup, Roxy. Uh, one, one last thing with respect to uh, what you've already touched on a little bit, 
The WCC, just in terms of the future, we asked Stu mm-hmm. Jackson. Stu joined us yesterday. He was kind enough to give us some time in a busy time in his yeah. life as a first-year commissioner. When I asked him about Gonzaga, I did not hear a slam dunk. Oh, yeah, they're, they're long-term for us. He, he just kind of said, well, what's long-term these days? He, you know, he understands, as of course he should, the value of that property for the for the WCC, but he didn't flat out say they're in for the long haul. What are your thoughts about their future? Well, we, we've heard these rumors for a while about them to the Big 12, right? Yes. And it's been a long time coming, and yet they're still in the West Coast Conference. I just, when they don't have the football component, and I get it, the Big 12 is cited as being the best basketball conference, and they probably are right now. When you look at the talent, with teams like Kansas and, and the way Baylor's been playing, and you're going to add a program like Arizona to the mix in the future. But it, you just keep hearing rumors. But there's no, there's nothing substantial coming. So, and I keep going back to, well, what does Gonzaga bring besides the basketball program? Because football's driving everything. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it, I, I, I subscribe to the theory, guys, that if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Yeah. Why yeah. hasn't it happened? And so I think from that standpoint, I, I think they're going to be in the WCC until I hear otherwise. Yeah, and the only thing that makes me nervous about that approach, and I'm not, yeah, now I just want to criticize what you just said. But, <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, you know, that was the thing that I was hearing about Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten, too. Remember that? Well, if it to happen by now yeah. during that summer of 2022. Remember that? Yeah, oh yeah. But I guess, look, we, we keep hearing these rumblings about Gonzaga to the West Coast yes. Conference. And right. this has been going on for a couple of years. True. And, well, oh, this week, and like, I, I hear from people at Gonzaga, oh, this is going to be a big week, or it's going to be next week. <laughs> well, it keeps turning into next week, and the following mm-hmm. week, and the following week. And it's not happening. So, yeah. again, I'm going under this theory and football's been driving it as we know and that's why i don't see now when it comes to fruition oh see you were wrong you 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 said they weren't going my thought process on it that i'm gonna believe when i yeah hey let's get to tonight's game and the the league as a whole when i say intriguing roxy i mean it because night in and night out in our league in this final year of the league as we know it Washington State goes to USC and wins last night. Cal beats Colorado and Berkeley. Stanford put 100 up on Arizona, then beat UCLA, scoring 59 points, holding UCLA to the fewest points in the series since 1973. What's going on in our league, and what do you expect tonight? The most interesting thing to me is who is the second team in this league. We know Arizona's the best team, even though Stanford put a 100-burger on them. But who is second-best team this league. I think we're still trying to figure that out. That, you know, okay, Arizona's number one. Well, who, who's after them? Mm-hmm. And the Oregon's playing right now, and they're going to healthier, it appears, that if Ali Dante will be back. And then Cook battles freshman on top of, at some point, maybe. So, are they the second-best team? And then Colorado blows the 20th. Yeah. And I, I, I think they show talent, but yet they play together. And just when you thought they may have figured it out and how well they played last weekend, then 
they turn around and lose to Washington State last night. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most intriguing thing about this conference to me right now is who is the next best team to Oregon right now. Yeah, hey, Roxy, you're breaking up. Last question. I don't know if you're in a different place than when we began the I'm conversation. My, uh, okay. I was in a bad spot. Okay. Hey, last yeah, thing. That you told me. Tonight's game and this Stanford team, you know, you You've seen them. You know them a little better. I've prepared for them and just think, oh, my gosh, 18 assists a game. They're shooting the three, I mean, unbelievably well, 16 of them in that 100-point game against Arizona, a school record. This looks like a pretty good team, too. They're really talented offensively, right, with the way they shoot the ball. You talk about the assists, Mike, that the way they move the basketball. And they have two sensational talent freshmen with the Carlisle, who just played for Stanford the first time after the full academic issue. was not an NCAA issue or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, as we know, Stanford academically is a little bit different. Spencer Jones is back. This is a veteran team. They should be in that conversation, for, at least for me, to be the second-best team in the league, but they just haven't been consistent. And I think it starts at the defensive end, and that's where they have some problems. They're really gifted offensively, but if, if they're going to get into that race, it's going to be because their defense got better. Yeah, and the Beavs beat USC, had two competitive losses up north. Washington State just goes in and beats SC in L.A., so it's hard for me mm-hmm. to get a real read on the Beavs. So my question for you in closing will turn you loose, and that is what, what kind of have you seen? What do you expect from Oregon State? Well, I, you know, I've seen them in person for a game. I see a team that's really young and learning how to play together and learning how to win, and they're playing hard. And I think Wayne scheduled right. Look, they didn't have the most aggressive non-conference mm-hmm. schedule. Roxy, the turning loose will happen now. Yeah. You've got a shoot-around to get to, and we're, you're breaking up a lot on <laughs> we us. We lost you. Roxy, we lost you. Go to the shoot-around. Thanks for everything, as always. And see I'll, see, I'll see you see at our shoot-around tonight, too, a little bit later. Roxy Bernstein, outstanding broadcaster with deep seasoning in our league. By the way, Stanford and preparing for the Cardinal as we go to break, and yeah. we'll have open yeah. phones the rest of the way. 497-5356. Phone lines open. Downward Dog phone line, University Honda text line. Please join us if you have something you'd like to share. The legacy of the three men. Rank them in order. The greatest one, two, and three. We got to do that. There you go. Yeah, because everybody well, else is. But I'm curious. Yeah, pro versus. Yeah, college, we had Barry though. Switzer, uh, Kip Carlson, yeah, Barry, Barry Switzer. Switzer. College. I mean, what coaches have done what Pete Carroll and Jimmy Johnson and Switzer? Anybody else? Super Bowl championship, national championship. <sighs> Don't know. Are those the three? Harbaugh's close. Yeah, but okay. But it ain't first. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, Mr. Pearsall. Mr. Pearsall. My dad, I, I led the league in runs yeah. and stolen bases. I was third in batting average. That's not first. <laughs> Leading Jimmy to climb a backstop. Yeah. Fear strikes out. crazy. Now, Carl Malden was good in that yeah, movie. Yeah, he was. You hated him. You just hated yeah. him. And Anthony Perkins, bad looking. I would say the worst athlete performance, uh, actor as athlete ever is Perkins in Fear Strikes Out. That's the director's fault. Well, 
Perkins may have looked the part, and he's an outstanding actor, and he played that tormented soul well as he did a few years later, anticipating yeah. Norman Bates. But as an athlete, it was a joke. <laughs> they should have just used a double. <laughs> I, I, as a kid, you'd see that. Look at, and we'd all laugh as nine <laughs> and ten year olds. See that guy Anthony Perkins playing Jimmy Parasol, trying to act like a baseball player. <laughs> Terrible. So, the the stat that scares me the most is the assists. Yeah, I mean they share it well. Stanford has won championships, basketball championships, in the PCC. The I I don't think they did. I'm trying to think. No, the PCC. The AAWU, the Pac-10, but they missed out on the Pac-8 and Pac-12, but they played in every iteration of it. And I'm trying to think the Beavers, let's think about it for a moment. The PCC, I I haven't yet, but all the levels in this our final year. Let's think about it, and we'll come back with an answer. Have the Beavers won a conference title at all levels? PCC? A-A-W-U, Pac-8, Pac-10, and 12. and 12. They have one in 12 with the tournament. But you have to consider, is it a regular season title yeah, you know, or a tournament tur- title? I, I give it to them. They won the Pac-12 tournament title in 12. That so needs they to did. be defined. Okay, 10, certainly. They have plenty of them in 10. they three straight with yeah. Ralph. Yeah. Eight? Eight? I'm not so sure that they won in eight. But they did win an AAWU. No, they won as an independent. They weren't in the AAWU. PCC, yes. So these are things. These are the things that matter. (laughs) Now, if you'd like to join us, Pete Carroll's legacy. How great is he? It was time. Is he going to coach again? If you're a Seahawks fan, who do you want? Anything else you want to weigh in on Belichick, Saban, three in one day? Oh, my goodness. 497-5356 if you'd like to join us on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. No, not Kip. Yeah, I don't he, know Okay, who that's right. How could I forget? They interrupted the run. Pac-8, Paul Valenti, 1966. Certainly 10, certainly 12 with the t- Pac-12 tournament title. You're right about separating the two, but I take it. That's a pac you got a Pac-12 trophy. Pac-12 tournament champions. They're two very different things. They are different things. I grant that. Independent, not AAWU. So I'm not sure we won an AAWU. I I will say this, that uh, in doing my research over the years for getting ready for all ball games, uh, schools themselves, athletic departments themselves, have have an issue with separating tournament champions versus league champions. They do. Because they'll just... Couch it the, the most positive way possible. Of course. Pac-12 champion Stanford right. Cardinal. Well, yeah, but they didn't win the regular season, but they did, or they did win right. the regular season, but they didn't win the tournament. With all this talent, and Stanford is an ultra-talented team, particularly offensively, as Roxy just pointed out. We were losing them a little bit, but they have five guys in double figures. Yeah. They have almost uh, like eight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they shoot it really well. They've made about half of their three-point shots over the last five or six games combined. I don't have the current sheet right in front of me. I brought in this folder full of stuff uh-huh. and left the major sheet in the back seat of my car. <laughs> so, uh, but I know through yeah. the writing and the prep, a, tr- a gifted offensive team. So I look forward to seeing. I think the Beavers over the years, that's been one of the the, the greatest assets and strengths of Coach Tinkle's changing defenses 
they can get teams off their game. Yeah. With the mix of the man, two, three, the one, three, one, some of mm-hmm. the three quarter court and half court traps. They've got to make Stanford uncomfortable like that yeah. because if Stanford gets hot, look out. I mean, they put 16 threes up and beat Arizona 182. <coughs> and this is what Roxy just said. And Arizona is the best team in the league. By period. far. And they crushed and them. And they crushed them. That, that's that's scary. A, It's worrisome. But then this team just lost to USC by 14, a team the Beavers beat by 16. I so know. The transit of property. Here we yep, go. Here we go. Tumwater joins us. It is a day of reflection, in a sense, and he called yesterday with the news just breaking that Pete Carroll was out as coach. I think Pete and Romy was on this, too. Pete's going to want to coach again, and if he yeah. gets an opportunity, this advisory thing. <clears throat> it's if, out the window. The Chargers, There's seven openings. He'll yeah, get one. I mean, I, I don't know. I, Romy talked about how somebody, Belichick, would fix the defense in San Diego, and he has a franchise quarterback. Well, you could apply that same language to Pete, who would fix the defense. He's a good defensive mm-hmm. coach, if not great, even though his defenses have slipped a bit, and Dave would attest to that, I'm sure. But I think that might be Carroll, USC, Southern Cal vibe, young, energetic, looks the part, you know, kind yeah. of that. Uh, I mean, uh, not that when I say San Diego, I'm talking about the L.A. Chargers right, right, in that right. market, going back to L.A. to the Charger job. It might be a fit again for him. Yeah, I, if I'm the Chargers, I'd be interested in him. Yeah. Let's go to Dave on the Joe Beaver Show from Tumwater. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, yeah, that was one of the uh, items. I had just a quick checklist. I'm going to pull a few sure. things quickly. That was that was one of them that I thought uh, if uh, they, if Jim Harbaugh doesn't make a return to that market, I was going to say I was going to say San Diego myself. Right. Uh, Pete Carroll <laughs> returning to Southern California. Right. There's a lot. Uh, that's a good optic, I think. I don't think I don't know if you guys ever closed the discussion. We were trying to figure out. Who else has won an NFL title and a college championship? Right. Barry Switzer. Yes. Barry Switzer is the third. That yeah, was contributed, that but are those the only three? So far as I know, yes. Okay. Switzer, Carroll, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson. Yes. Yes. Jimmy Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Now, as to the as to the buyer's remorse discussion you were having with Roxy. That's very uh, entertaining. And you referenced Softy Mahler when I called earlier in the week, Mike, and never had an opportunity to throw this in there. And it's interesting how the tentativeness of all of this is just looming over everyone's sense of awareness. For example, at the end of the championship game Monday night, although I didn't watch all of the game, once the outcome was known, I couldn't resist listening to the Husky Hawks. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reflect well on me, but I had to listen. And it was, it was the ex- usual and expected things that were transpired. But the most interesting thing I took away, near the end of the show, Softy said, well, we're off to the Big Ten, and uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting existence. But this, this was the key point, or the, the remarkable point he made. He said something to the effect of, for as long as it lasts. Uh-huh. And I think... So I, I just think that that was just an emblematic comment. I think that the the, the ambiguousness, the um, the tentativeness of all of this is in, is in the back of a lot of people's minds, which is among other things contributing to my sense 
that as bad as the situation Oregon State and Washington State found themselves in, it's not the end of the world because the wheel is going to turn once again, which brings me to one kind of hidden, so far today, undiscussed aspect of the coaching carousel, which is that they've been leaving opens the transfer portal for 30 days at Alabama. Mm -hmm. It's closed for everyone else, but now it's open for 30 days in Tuscaloosa. Now, you might say, well, what difference does that make? We're not going to get any of those guys. That's true. But Oregon might get some of those guys, or Washington, or SC, which means there's going to be a guy already on those rosters who says, oh, Mm -hmm. my program just brought a refugee in from Mm -hmm. Tuscaloosa. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time for me to start looking around. So I love Angie's report. It was exactly what I was looking for. There is so, guys, this is my final point. I know I'm repetitive. I belabor it. But I think it needs restating continuously. This story has a long way to play out. We are a few pages into several hundred pages of a narrative, and we ought to just, at some level, just kind of sit back, enjoy the spectacle uh, and the narrative power of it, but don't jump to uh, inordinate conclusions about how the story ends. Dave, Dave, real quick, don't you think, though, too, based um, back to what you were talking about uh, on this very topic, that if in the next couple of years, even before, let's say, the end of contracts, let's say that these deals are for seven, eight, ten years, so we have to wait that long for change to happen. I don't think so, especially, wouldn't you agree, if football somehow goes the way of doing its own thing, which fans right now want that, but I've not heard any, any official say that that's where it's going to go. But let's say it does, and football (laughs) breaks off, and let's say, yeah, you've got all these teams in the Big Ten now from the Pac-12. Wouldn't you think that that would kind of uh, expedite the collapse of, of everything else and all those teams, Stanford, Cal, coming back from the ACC, back out west again for the, uh, the non-football sports? That's a great point, John, and, and, and let's just dwell on that for a second, or as long as you're going to leave me on the line here. Uh, there is, you would agree, John, there's a lot more talk along those lines than there was even six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it, it, it's in everyday parlance that somehow, some, in some fashion, football's going to go off and do their own thing. Now, that doesn't make it a slam dunk to mix metaphors here, but, but it's strongly suggestive of what must be the background conversation. I think the big, the big break to look for, and this is also another topic that hasn't gotten much play, there was a meeting of the College Football Governing Board, Board of Presidential Governors, whatever they're called, the day of the championship game. There's been very little coverage of that. And among uh, what was noteworthy, the President Schultz, who is the PAC representative, agreed to a by a bylaw for the last two years of the existing contract that to, for, for a conference to get one of the automatic qualifying spots, you had to be a part of an 18 conference. So he capitulated mm-hmm. on that point. Yeah. Pro- but he did not, he did not on other matters of reorganization because he's buying time. So again, it's, it's, it's my recurring theme. It has been for two months. There's so much to play out. We've just lived through, so just think of it this way, guys. As tumultuous as it's been, we've lived through a five months of this. 
It's got another 20-plus months to mm-hmm. run. Yeah. So if there's been all that excitement in the last five, just imagine the twists and turns that lay in front of you. And I love your, your going deep on Bama and Nick because now, as Roxy said, and I think Angie said too, if Coach leaves, you, you can go into the portal. So you're right. There will be some Alabama kids that will, which could have a domino effect, and it could lead to Oregon State being able to, in a sense, jump in and take advantage of that fluid situation. Last thing, and it kind of reminds me a little bit, I thought Stu Jackson's rhetorical question yesterday in response to a question I asked was perfect when I asked him about Gonzaga long-term in the WCC. I don't know if you heard what he, how he answered, Dave, but he said, what does long-term even mean these <laughs> days? I think that's what you're yeah. getting at here. Exactly. And just to go back to the carousel for a second, so since it's highly probable that it's going to be another college head coach that goes to Alabama, then that school's 30-day window yes. opens up. So there, so, so Saban leaving is just the first of what could be half a dozen dominoes, right. and that's why you've got a coaching staff there across the street. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. From the football uh, there in Gill or wherever, I guess their headquarters, their offices are right in the stadium now. But you've got to think they're watching this closely. Every time the one of the dominoes falls, yeah. they're on the phone or they're hearing from people. So yep. uh, I think this roster is going to be completely recomposed. We're going to be in fine shape by uh, Labor Day. Great to hear from you, Dave. Thank you. We'll take a break. Uh, last one of the afternoon. If you have anything on the Downward Dog phone line or the University Honda text line you would care to contribute, we'd love to hear from you down the stretch. 497-5356. 497-5356. We are in the Pacific Northwest. The Seahawks, for good or ill, and I think, John, often for you and for many, it was for ill, yes, we're not, you know, when you're living in Portland, in the Portland metro yeah. area growing up in Lake Oswego, they're not our team. We're not Seattle. Exactly. And there was even a rivalry between Portland and Seattle and mm-hmm. in hockey in the great old days of the WHL, mm-hmm. in baseball in the great glory days of the PCL. Rivalries were bitter, and certainly in the NBA, <laughs> the Sonics and Blazers yep. had some great battles and so on. And this idea, well, Portland's just part of the Seattle market. Well, in a sense, the closest major league franchise, so we get it and we understand it. And maybe, just maybe, on the theory that how many people became Braves and Cubs fans in baseball in the 80s, you know, late 70s into the 80s, Uh, because they're on all the time. Mm -hmm. I know many. Right, I do too. I actually fell into it as well. Yeah, I mean, WTBS created... A generation of Braves yeah. fans. Well, they, I, went, they, who, I went the Cub route, but yeah. But who may not necessarily have been predisposed. No. Oh, I'm going to be an Atlanta Braves fan. Why? Well, I like uh, I like uh, Tony Cloninger. I like Warren Spahn. I <laughs> like, like Lou Berdette. like Milwaukee uh, Brewers fan. Right. I mean, you, you know, maybe you like Henry Aaron and admired a few guys here and there. But the Braves became, in a sense, America's baseball team yeah. because of the power of WTBS and Cable's explosion and people watching the Braves every day. Yeah. And, you you know, it's the opposite side of Hannibal Lecter's doctrine that I used to quote about the Braves and Cubs back in the day. You covet what you see every day. <laughs> well, yeah. I, and you kind of come to get used to 
and like even what you see every day, the I, Cubs and Braves. I did, the 84 Cubs. I'd come home, and every day I'd, I'd right. have a bowl of hot cereal and, and watch the Cubs. <laughs> so did the Seahawks have that kind of effect on people around here? Well, they were on uh, yeah. more here. Not me. I hated them. Okay. So I, I guess I'm speaking to Seahawk Nation, in a sense, here even this far down. Are you a Seahawk fan? Was yesterday a good day for the organization in that, yeah, love Pete, but. Love Pete, but Pete's been great, but or Pete's been great, and yes, it's time to move on. So are you happy that his era is over? Do you wish him well if he ends up somewhere else? And who do you want if you're a Seahawk fan, if you want to indulge us? Feel free to jump in on that. And in terms of the legacy of the three men, three giants in the coaching profession, all within the same 24-hour period, at their posts no more, <laughs> Belichick, Saban, and Carroll. How do you view their careers? If you want to weigh in, those are three in one, in one 24-hour period. That's amazing, almost yeah. unprecedented. Massive stories. So what do you make of being in with a nod to the Pacific Northwest? Are you a Seahawks fan? What do you want to see next? And how do you view the overall run of Pete Carroll? 497-5356, 497-5356, the Downward Dog phone line, the University Honda text line. And what about... Uh, the domino theory of Dave, and the, that's one of, I mean, he makes great contributions daily. I think bringing that up keeps us posted. Okay, well, Alabama will have kids, or already have kids leaving. Yeah. Okay, does, do, does their landing spot then push somebody out of a school, maybe out here or somewhere else that looks around and says, oh, I like what's going on at Oregon State. They mm -hmm. recruited me out of high school. I'm going to find my way back there. Four nine seven. Some of yeah, yeah, I mean that could yeah. happen. Four nine seven five three five six. The Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. Back on the Joe Beaver Show. In this next segment, John and Mike will show you their musical skills. Guys, whistle along. Come on, guys, it's not that hard. Like this. It's a tough road. It's a tough league. It is. You, you need to be better. I know. I know. Lousy, lousy announcer. You need you know, to get Joe better. Buses, the late Joe Buses. My first game with the Portland Beavers, <coughs> 1987. Actually, we won the opener with Charlie Manuel managing that yeah, club. Yeah. But we lost a doubleheader or something. Then I walk in, and Joe, who'd been sitting in his office listening more than being out and about through the yeah, lousy radio losing announcer, you know, like <laughs> blaming me. He blame for you the, for a loss? Joking. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. even in jest, you kind of feel like you're getting, <laughs> he means it a little bit. Did they, how much did they care about winning? Not in, much. In AAA baseball? Not much. Not much from the standpoint of, for example, Big Jim Wilson, our own. Yeah. How did he feel about his big year? With the Calgary Cannons in 1989, he led professional baseball, um, major leagues, minor leagues. Yeah. Jimmy Wilson drove in 133 runs in the summer of 1989, 133 RBIs. As Jim has said to me, and Harold Reynolds has even confirmed it, the Mariners had to call him up. He was not a major league prospect for them, Jimmy Lefevre, the manager, but you cannot when the people and these minor league reports that they're always giving, and even yeah. then in the 80s they were doing that, yeah. Riz and Niehaus and company, well, boy, Jim Wilson, another big game down in Calgary. 
the fans demand and the organization and the reward mm -hmm. demands. You call that guy up. 133 RBIs at the AAA level. That guy needs to come up and yeah. get a cup of coffee, get a shot at the major league level. The Mariners were going nowhere. The Calgary Cannons and Jim is there. Jim was a winner. He wants to win games, but the Cannons made the playoffs. And rather than go into the portal, I think I'll skip our playoffs, Skipper. You know, <laughs> I'm going to opt out and go to the major leagues. The Mariners made, because of payroll and all of that, okay, uh -huh. we don't have to start paying the guy until he gets up here. So there was that, too. The Mariners could have demanded that we want Jimmy now, but they didn't have anything to play for. So the point being, did Wilson want to win the Pacific Coast League championship or get to the major leagues as soon as possible? Well, it sounded like he wanted to win the... the well, it, you, it's I'm made, telling you, it sounded no. like he wanted to stay down no, and finish that. No, he didn't that. want to. He was left down there. Oh. And walled down there in the playoffs for the Calgary oh, yeah, Cannons. Then, yeah, no, he'd want to tank it he, so he can get up to the he, big club. He didn't necessarily want... He sprained his ankle badly on oh, a play. Man. And then gets to the big leagues a few days later and can, can and barely put any anything. weight on the ankle and had a rough time of it huh. in his short stint. In September of 1989, playing with Harold Reynolds <laughs> at the major league level. So it still was a good story and a feel-good story, but he didn't feel good. No. And what I'm saying to you is he's told me, as much as a PCL championship would have been kind of cool, he would much druther get to the big leagues as soon as possible. <laughs> they left course. him down there. He sprains an ankle and doesn't have a great September call-up time with the Mariners in 89. Did he, uh, how, what were you talking about, a couple of days, a week, or something that they Not left the last three weeks, but oh. he, you know, he could add a full month. But he the Cannons made the playoffs, Who darn knows them. what he would have done at I the I mean, if he'd been left. healthy and he might have kept going, yeah. and thus that changes the thinking. If they're thinking, well, this is a veteran guy on the back end. He had a severe injury to Jimmy in 1985 that mm -hmm. short-circuited what would have been, I think, a long and productive major league career i really do and most people who know him and knew his game charlie manuel used to tell me that oh jimmy hadn't gotten hurt he's a big league hitter for 10 oh. to 15 years so it's tough that's a tough thing to live with and deal with the injury and gary gaietti ran into yeah. his wrist and broke his wrist jimmy never fully recovered from that again he did come back Four years later, to have this transcendent year with the Mariner, uh, uh, Calgary, yeah. 133 RBIs. I think like 27, 28 homers hit 327, 133. Incredible year. Wow. So I'm get 10 RBIs in a game that Whoa. year that I called. Calgary Cannons at Portland Beavers. And he hit a grand slam and another home run and had 10 in a game, 10 RBIs in a game. Wow. That's big Jim Wilson for you. But, you know, he... If he has the kind of call-up in 89 and has a healthy month and drives in runs at that level, which he would have, I believe, yeah. Lefevre and the Mariners say, hey, you know, that kid, we, we need to put him on the 40-man. Mm -hmm. Instead, he was released at the end of the year and ended up with uh, the, the Giants organization, I believe, or sat out a year. I can't remember the whole timeline, but he did end up back at AAA with Phoenix and mm -hmm. the Giants organization and had another big year. 17 and 92 or whatever, 17 homers, 92 RBI. But that fully healthy month with the Mariners could have changed some thinking oh, in the organization. That is terrible. It is. So what do we got, Doc? All Anything right. on the, yeah, the legacy, the three, the triumvirate, Carroll, 
Belichick, and Saban. Uh, let's see. We all seem to be uh, of the opinion that uh, FB or a subset of that will do its own thing. The underlying questioning pro- question mm-hmm. or problem is where the money of that move goes, meaning how it gets distributed. Will a uh, NIL light league of 32 teams get 90% and the other 80 to 90 teams get 10%? That won't support the uh, not included current power programs and athletic departments. Would the top FB schools complete, uh, completely leave the NCAA in order to take at least that much, mm-hmm. i.e. all of it, if the next level schools insisted on much more equitable sharing? Right, right. That's a, those are great questions. Great, who's asking them, by the way? Do you have uh, a name on that C- on the fan? CVB, CVB tremendous one. questions. And that's why uh, with everybody, as you said, Roxy and others, Talking about, well, it looks like we're going to, you know, football, this this momentum, this groundswell of football is going to break off and do its own thing. Well, yeah, but how? Yeah. And and how's it going to look? And where's the money coming from? And who gets it? And does that mean the end of football in relationship to, as he's pointing out, football, football revenue has paid for and allowed for the 16, 17 other sports in major institutions Correct. to carry on, thanks to football money and Except media rights money. Except the West Coast money. Conference has proven you can do it without football. Well, yes, yeah, with different kinds of budgets and a basketball-centric program, right. yes. Right, right, um, Tom from Corvallis, plenty of Seahawks fans in the Mid-Valley, uh, just as with the Mariners. The uh, the train from Albany to Seattle is an easy way to travel to yes, the stadium. Yes, it is. I've always wanted to do I've that. I've done it once, and I liked it. I'm going to do that this summer. I've always wanted to do that. Uh, Phil Miller and Kip Carlson and Paul, all three of them, said Barry Switzer. Yeah, thank you. So, so, but there were only three. I looked it up. up There's been three: Switzer, uh, Jimmy Johnson, (laughs) and Pete Carroll. That's it. Three guys who have won an NCAA football championship and a Super Bowl. That's really and the one thing too. Everybody talks about Saban, the goat. Is there any argument? And who do you argue for, if there is, as the greatest college football coach of all time? People just seem to say, well, no, he's, in a, he's it. He's the guy. If you had to advance an argument for anybody else, greatest coach in college football history, who else is in the conversation? Other, Nick Saban and? Uh, oh, Bear Bryant. Okay. Um, Name of, anybody else? Canute. Frank Leahy's greater than Canute at Notre Dame. Record-wise? Yeah, record-wise, championship-wise. What do you put in there? Intangibles or just, just numbers? Numbers, I think. Canute as a force, a great force, is, is probably greater in a more uh, even notoriety and lore than the great Frank Leahy. But Leahy's record, Bud Wilkinson's record, better than Canute's. Okay, so uh, you, you, it's, it's Nick Saban. He's okay. just the greatest of all time, which is strange because he's surpassing these legends that we hold dear. Right. I mean, and I don't think that's also. I don't think that's a phenomenon either. If you champion Saban as the greatest college football coach, that's not recency bias. I just think people about the history of the sport to see the national titles that he's won and say, okay, yeah, he's number one. Just as John Wooden in basketball and ten trumps everything else. Yeah, yeah. No, I I remember uh, just in these last fifteen years thinking uh, Alabama's unbelievable. Nick Saban is unbelievable, yeah. and then Kirby Smart. 
takes two in a row, and you'd have thought Alabama never won anything. People are too fickle to forget things. The recency And bias, I'm like, yeah. you know, waiting in the wings right now is uh, Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah. And, no, nah, that's, that's why I was shocked yesterday. He's the greatest. Dear Joe Beaver Show, with just days, we have to lose not one, not two, but three of the greatest greatest all-time coaches have, have gone. These are strange times. At least Alabama coach had total control of his career. It is a tough profession, Doug from Salem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, I can remember all the way back fo- starting to follow Nick Saban when he was at Michigan State. Sure. The stint in Miami and, and the NFL it just didn't work. Well, um, could it have? I mean, I don't know. what He only coached one year, didn't he? I think so. What was his record that year? I don't even know that. I don't either. I only know one anecdote, and it has nothing to do with what we're talking yeah. about. But there was one anecdote, and this would have followed him, so it's hard to know if this is true. But there was some reporter or a person who worked. No, it was a worker, a female worker within the organization that never got the memo that you address him in a certain way, and she said his name. It was like, um, it was all very formal. You mean like, hey, Nick? No, it was, hey, um, good afternoon, Coach Saban. It's very nice to meet you. And it was like this ridiculous, didn't, you don't, no one calls me by, no one calls me by anything. You're not supposed to address him at all. Like he's the all grand poobah behind the curtain. (laughs) And it was really a difficult article to read, thinking, what a jerk. But I, I, it's hard to believe that, because stuff like that would follow you around. And it was the only thing. It was Miami, and it was one story, and it was the only story I'd ever written, uh, ever ever read about Saban doing a thing like that. Mm, two so. years, two years, it looks like, yeah. with the Dolphins, 05, 06. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, I, I don't... I, but th- there seems to be very little pushback if you argue that he's the greatest college football coach of all time. I, who's better? Yeah, I mean, you don't. You you mentioned, I think, maybe the guy next in in people's thinking, Bear. Yeah. But I, his numbers don't match. Seasons. No, and in terms of national championships, right? Bear, I, I don't I don't have it in front of me how many Bear won, or even how many Frank Leahy won, or Johnny McKay for that matter at USC won a bunch of them for I think four or five maybe. So, I I, I think it's Nick Saban without without even a much question. argument. And yeah. the history of the NFL though, people call Belichick his oh he's the goat. yeah because of six Super Bowls, but. Really? Would you stack him up against Vince Lombardi? Lombardi? No. Lombardi only no. had two Super Bowls. Well, because the the event wasn't created until his last two seasons. <laughs> he had several championships yeah. before the Super Bowls. Yeah, he did. I'm sorry, I don't put Belichick in above with Vince. A lot of those, okay. several of those okay. famous NFL coaches. Basketball tonight, seven thirty. Beavers, Stanford. We'll see you tomorrow.